The Shep Nas Podcast begins now. You're listening to the Shep Nas Podcast here at Shepherd Church. Everything we do here is to connect our community in a meaningful relationship with Christ. I'm Joe. I'm your guest host today. Today we have with me Greg Bixler from Design Outreach. I believe it to be a one-of-a-kind ministry, and we are fortunate to have Greg with us today to tell us a little bit more about their efforts. So thank you for coming in, Greg. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Uh, we want, First of all, we want to kind of get to know Greg uh, before we get to know your organization. So if you would, uh, just tell us a little bit about you, your family, kind of, um, I think you live around this area. So just tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I live in Gahanna, so right down the street from Shepnaz, and uh, three kids and wonderful wife. We um, we're in the throes of baseball season and and volleyball and everything else in between, and it's uh, it's a just a, a wonderful thing to even be back in Shepnaz Church because my kids have played basketball here before, and I've been the coach, which has been just a blessing. You know, speaking of which, uh, when we first talked about doing the the podcast episode today, um, we were at the pizza party for Shep Nas basketball, and um, I was aware of Design Outreach, your your organization, and I was also aware of Life Pump that we're going to be talking about later, but I didn't know you, and um, so Rob pointed you out to me, and uh, we got to talk briefly. And of course, when he pointed you out, I had seen some of your videos before, so I was like, okay, yeah, that is the guy. So um, I, I think we want to take a look at um, kind of where did you get started on your walk of faith uh, at a personal level? Um, have you always been in the church? Did you come to the Lord at a later time, or how, how was your walk in faith? Yeah, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a church uh, just outside of Mansfield, Ohio here. And my parents are believers. I uh, grew up in a church. Um, and, it, you know, it's one of those things where when you're a kid, uh, you you believe and you go to church and you're part of Sunday school. But it really wasn't until college when I got serious about my faith. I, I came down to the big city, to Columbus, and went to Ohio State University and that's when I got involved with uh, Campus Crusade. I got involved in a church in Columbus and really took ownership over my faith and and uh, better understood what it meant to be a Christian and starting to walk the way Jesus would want me to walk. Nice. And you mentioned that you were married. You have three kids. So was this, did you meet up in college afterwards, before no, I, I met my wife at church. It's a great place to meet <laughs> All right. a wonderful person. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a, an interesting story. Uh, my wife, uh, her name is Mary Hannah, and I met at church. And it was also through her that God used an experience in her life to essentially spark the vision for design outreach, which is what we're here to talk about. Really? And uh, it was it was really neat. I was part of a church. This is the Grace Brethren Church at Polaris. Mm-hmm. And I was part of a, a like an evening Sunday night young adult church service, and I was one of the the, the leaders of that service as a young adult. And um, and one of the things I got to do was meet new people. Well, I just happened to notice now my future wife, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and it was my duty to go talk to her. <laughs> 
Um, and so we ended up talking, and I, I heard about um, her life story in probably the hour that we talked, which was quite a long time. We Everybody else was gone. And I, I learned that she had grown up in Brazil as a missionary kid, mm-hmm. and she had just spent a year in Central Asia uh, working with some missionaries and helping to spread the gospel. And I thought that was fascinating. I'd never been out of the country at that point in my life besides Canada. Nice. And and now I've been to like 30 countries or something. But at the time, I thought Canada was a crazy foreign country. And here I met this person <laughs> who lived most of her life overseas and, and loved the Lord and was super interesting. And it was really through her that I got connected to the missionaries in Central Asia, which then sparked this desire to use engineering emissions. So you mentioned engineering, and you also mentioned going to college. So I'm assuming... Uh, that was what your area of study was in college. Kind of tell us a little bit about uh, when you were preparing for your career, what what did you have in mind when you were going into engineering? Well, honestly, I thought I was going to build cars. There was a, a General Motors plant in Mansfield, which uh, if anyone is familiar with Mansfield, that plant is no longer there. It's, mm-hmm. it's a barren wasteland, um, last I saw at least. And uh, I thought... You know, the good jobs were at General Motors at GM, and I really knew nothing about what they did there, but I knew they built cars. And so I came to Ohio State. Uh, I was good at math and science, and so I was encouraged to go into engineering. I like to tinker with things and build things and invent things, but I had no idea what engineers really did. I, I thought they built cars. I, I knew they also drove trains, but I didn't want to be that kind of engineer, <laughs> right, right. even though that would be neat. Um. And when I was in college uh, studying mechanical engineering, uh, in my undergrad, I, I learned about this company in Columbus uh, called Battelle and mm-hmm. learned about how they were this engineering think tank and they invented all sorts of interesting things. And, and I had a former teacher of mine encourage me to apply as an intern. And so I started interning at Battelle and, and fell in love with this idea of using engineering to invent new technologies and to solve problems. And and to have um, a large variety of engineering type of projects. And uh, so I um, started my engineering career at Battelle straight out of undergrad, uh, but it was pretty shortly after uh, working full-time at Battelle within about six months, uh, the Lord put back on my heart to go back to grad school. So I started taking grad school classes at the same time. I was working full-time. Um, so you're one of those people then. <laughs> yeah, I never thought I'd go back. I, I thought after undergrad... I had had enough of college, right. and uh, the, the Lord changed my mind pretty quickly. And so over the course of about four years, I, I finished my master's while, while still working full-time. And it was in that period of time that I that I went to Central Asia myself with a short-term missions team uh, that I had uh, shared a little bit about where my wife uh, worked as a missionary. And uh, and so God, God opened my eyes to this idea of, of using an occupation of missions, in my case, engineering. So I thought at the time, I wanted to go back and teach full-time at a university. And in order to do so, you need a meal ticket called a PhD. And so right. I said, why not? Let's go back and get a PhD. You right. know, every, everybody thinks that, I'm sure. And, uh, and I was one of the crazy ones to actually go forward with it. And so I started working on that, and that's um, – uh, but, but tell – uh, helped me uh, realize that that was my my you know next step in life, and so I went back to Ohio State full time and finished that up while 
while God was growing the ministry of design outreach. And so it was quite a, quite a busy season. Um, my wife and I, and, and then, you know, between obviously meeting and, and then we got married, um, we had our first child. Um, it was, it was quite a, quite a busy, challenging time in those early days. So you're a believer. You meet this woman who's grew up kind of in the missionary environment, which kind of introduced you to it. Then God was already using the skills and abilities, uh, the strengths of you being able to do engineering, and kind of started to work all that together. Um, and now you're to the point where you go on a short mission trip and say, maybe ministry and work go together. Um, so is this how Design Outreach was born then? How did, how did that happen? Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. It was in 2006, we did this short-term missions trip with uh, a small group from my church, from Grace Brethren uh, Church. And, uh, and, and we went to Central Asia. There was like six or seven of us, and it had nothing to do with engineering. Remember, I was working as an engineer at that point early in my career. And, uh, and this was my first trip out of the country besides Canada at this mm-hmm. point in my life. And we arrive, and the first thing I noticed was these uh, like three families from America that had started um, – these small business centers to help connect local believers uh, with the community and to help support them in a way that they could support their families. And I was really encouraged, you know, there's like a business major, an English major, an accountant, and they were using their occupations and mission to um, help local believers, to build trust and to share the gospel. And right away, I'm thinking, well, well, if an English major can do it, well, what can an engineer do, right? Sure, sure. And uh, and so the, the the wheels started turning in my mind, but I also saw extreme poverty for the first time in my life. Hmm. Um, I'd grown up in Ohio and lived in Ohio my whole life, and there's poverty, but I've never seen extreme poverty until that point in my life, where people are, are going to uh, trash heaps, landfills, you know, eating scraps they can find, and, and it really um, put an impression on my mind that this isn't the way it should be. And so I, I remember also people were very creative in uh, building things they needed. So there was um, a retaining wall along one of the roads, and somebody took an old car and just put it up on its side and made a wall instead of you know laying concrete blocks and, and, and doing it you know what we'd consider the right way. And, um, and I thought, wow, if, what if so-called trained engineers could come alongside these really creative, very resilient, very hardworking people and mm-hmm. help engineer these solutions alongside our brothers and sisters in other countries um, and do it in a way that's really solving felt needs. And that's, that's really the, the seed that God planted in my heart and my, my mind. And, and to do it in a way that we can share the gospel. You know, one of the things that you just said really spoke to me um, when you're in a a foreign land, and you recognize that even though these people haven't had the opportunities that you've had, haven't had the background or experiences that you had, that this is a brother or sister mm-hmm. that I can work beside, that I'm, I'm not going there to impress them. I'm not going there to uh, show them how much better we can do it from another place, but 
to work alongside them as brother and sister, and that's that's a great way to look at that. Um, now, we had uh, discussed a little bit before, um, so as this was coming about where you're starting to look at these ideas, um, kind of give me the next step of the development in, in the ministry now. Yeah, so I remember flying back on the plane, a changed person from Central Asia. Um, God had put in my heart that somehow I should use engineering emissions. I was no longer satisfied with my really great day job, which I was very mm-hmm. happy. I, I had a great job. Uh, but God was opening my eyes, and I started reading books and, and, and watching some programs. And, and I realized that something like 90% of the world's technologies are designed for only 10% of our population. So in other words, like all this equipment we're using for this amazing podcast right, right. <laughs> is, is literally for a tiny slice of the richest people in the world. Sure. And so there's essentially almost no thought in engineering design for people in other places that have very low resources. And so when I came back, I remember giving a, a brown bag lunch to my colleagues at Battelle at the time. And, uh, and I shared about my trip, and people are very curious, very interested, because where I went is not a place you typically go on vacation. Sure. And um, a lot of interest, a lot of, uh, a lot of questions. And at the end of that presentation, I, I, I asked my colleagues, I said, you know, there's lots of problems that we could tackle and, and work alongside different missionaries around the world. Would anyone here like to volunteer their time to help apply their engineering talent to solve these problems. And right away, dozens of hands popped up. And what I realized was there was a lot of people that I knew who wanted to help in other places where people are are desperate for food, desperate for better health care, but they didn't know how to, but they wanted to. And so at that point, the question was, what is the biggest problem we should tackle? Sure. And, and, and as we dug into it, we realized water is... One of it, it's it's in our opinion the biggest problem facing people in extreme poverty, the access to safe and reliable water, and so shortly after that meeting, I had a conversation uh, with a longtime missionary who happened to be coming through Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, this gentleman named Jim, he started an organization in the Central African Republic, and they were drilling wells and putting in pumps, and I remember very. Vividly sitting across this coffee table. Remember the Cup of Joe's at Lennox? <laughs> right, it was right. at the Cup yep, of Joe's. Yep. It's something else now. But, um, I asked him, Jim, what is the biggest challenges that you're facing as a mission organization? And right away he told me about these water pumps, these hand pumps. They, they use foot-pedaled pumps and, and hand-powered pumps. He's like, we put these pumps in, and after just a short time, usually like six months, nine months, they break down. And even though we want to and we have the equipment and the people, we can't get out to the village to fix things because the roads are too bad. It's a rainy season. There's two feet of mud. You know, there's, there's all sorts of issues. And he's like, if you could just make a water pump last more than six months, maybe last even a year, that would change everything. And he said, number two, these pumps, they don't go deep enough. So they can drill a well down to the water, but the pumps themselves are, are physically unable to get the water out due mm-hmm. to the way they're designed. And, uh, and, and I, and I, I listened to him and I, I thought to myself, well, we sent a man to the moon, like, <laughs> <laughs> right. you're telling me we can't fix this. <laughs> and, and, and that's really where this whole thing with water pumps started was that, that singular conversation, single conversation. 
and uh, and realizing this wasn't just a problem they had in the Central African Republic. This was a global problem. You were actually already feeling like the water was potentially the issue Mm -hmm. uh, and had already been talking about that with some other engineers that were willing to volunteer their efforts as well. And at the same time, then you end up meeting with a missionary that says, by the way, my number one problem is water. Yeah, uh, uh, not, not a coincidence. <laughs> that, that sounds like God, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I just want to you know, stop at these little milestones along the way um, because your, your story is amazing, but I also know that you would probably agree that it can be replicated in other people's lives, that there is... Mm-hmm. There is uh, something in every person that God has given talents, abilities, and then He fosters that, and then He shows you how those talents and abilities can be used for the kingdom, and then He starts showing you opportunities of how you're going to implement that. So let's take a break for just a second. Uh, We're kind of to that point where you've at least had the brainstorm of how Design Outreach is going to launch. And right after the break, we'll actually get into the launching of it. Join Shepherd Church for Revival Services, April 23rd through 26th with Jeremiah Bullock. You can only see who you are. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and His incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he demonstrated in how he raised Jesus from the dead. And we're not talking about just raising Jesus. from. We're talking about a, a, a Jesus who took on the sin of the world and literally became everything that made us undesirable and unlovable and rebellious. Like on the cross, Jesus became the worst of humanity. When God forgives you, he literally takes what was you, puts it on Jesus, and it got punished on the cross. Jesus got everything you deserved. And the beauty of redemption is that the murderer, he's no longer a murderer. For more information, visit shepnez.org slash revival 2023. All right, we're back. And uh, we've been talking with, with Greg about the beginnings of design outreach and specifically about the life pump. And uh, where we would le- just left off was... Um, talking about kind of your background and what you saw in the world. And you were able to put together uh, some volunteers that were engineers that were identifying water as a problem. You spoke with a long-term missionary that confirmed that water is the problem. And now you've come to a point in your life where you've like, I know that I should be in the position to provide some sort of solution. So take us from that step. Yeah, so we had this conversation at the Cup of Joe, and I went back to my colleagues that were just friends of mine from Battelle. This, these were designers, engineers, just friends of mine. Um, and and we, we said, hey, we have this challenge. What are we going to do about it? You know, we have one of two choices at this point. Do we just ignore the problem and just assume somebody else will solve it, or do we do something about it? And, and you know, as you can tell, the rest of the story is we did something. <laughs> right. And in the process, uh, Jim, the missionary, uh, was over in Central African Republic with a few of his board members. So they had a board, and a few other board members were on a trip together. And on the trip, uh, Jim continued talking about the quote-unquote Battelle guys, you know, which was me and, and the, the few friends, and how we were going to solve all these problems. 
And on the trip was uh, one of the board members named Abe Wright, who I had never met before. Mm-hmm. And and Abe comes up to Jim and, and says, Jim, I, I have a bunch of my own colleagues at my engineering company, which happened to be a Johnson & Johnson company in Indiana, who would also like to work on these projects as volunteers. And, and right away, something clicked in Jim's mind. I think the Holy Spirit worked in his head and said, you need to connect Greg and Abe. <laughs> these, these two guys are too yeah. like-minded. And I can always put my finger on the, the date when we met because our kids were very, very young. My, my oldest, who's now 13, was just born. Mm-hmm. So about 13 years ago, my wife and I drive out to Indiana and sit down with Abe and his wife. And we discover all these common connections and, and some people that we know from some previous church background and and realize that that Abe and his wife also had a very similar vision for using engineering emissions. And and right away, Abe brought to the table many engineers from Johnson and Johnson, and I brought engineers from Battelle, and next thing you know, we're engineering a better water pump. And and that's how it started. It, it started totally grassroots with with no money. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, so at first, we we looked around and 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 we're trying to find another organization just to join. We didn't really want to start our own organization. We didn't know how to do that. We've never <laughs> done that before. We both had full time jobs. Right. And uh, it was all brand new. It was exciting, but kind of uh, intimidating. And we looked pretty hard. We were looking for a Christian engineering organization that created appropriate technologies, and you can't find any because there aren't any besides well, design outreach now. now. <laughs> so it's the necessity I, I of all why, right? <laughs> and uh, so, so we decided, you know, for the first few years, we would essentially we were just a group of volunteers, and so we. We, we figured out that because we couldn't pay people, the best thing we could do is, is ask them to volunteer. And, and next thing you know, we, we continue having these, these amazing, uh, very talented, very experienced subject matter experts in engineering come alongside us because they believed in the mission. We had this idea, can we build a better hand pump that can last much longer and go much deeper? And, mm-hmm. and we later called it the life pump. And that was the, the vision that God gave us. But it was so much bigger than life pump. We didn't call our ministry, life pump outreach or water outreach, it, we called it design outreach because we, we felt God put in our hearts this vision to create what I would what I'd consider like a Patel-like think tank, right. but focused on developing country problems and doing it to share the gospel. And so that was the vision. Imagine a thousand engineers and scientists, the smartest people you can imagine, focused not on first world problems, but developing country problems. Wonderful. And the, I think the breadth of the vision, um, I'm sure it would have been very easy to, you know, call your organization life pump engineers or whatever, mm-hmm. um, to think that that would be, that's who we are. That's what we do. We do water pumps, but obviously the Lord's put more than that, um, in your mind. And, um, I'm going to give you a moment, if you would, to go ahead and geek out for a little bit. Tell us about the life pump. Like, you know, uh, our listeners are hearing this, but kind of explain to us how how this works. What What is different about the life pump as opposed to whatever pumps were 
familiar with. What does the light pump do and how does it do it? Yeah, a life pump is not rocket science, but it may actually be harder than rocket science <laughs> uh, because of the requirements necessary to make it work. Um, the life pump is, is what we call a progressive cavity pump. So it's kind of like an Archimedes screw where you have a rotor and a stator, and when they rotate relative to each other, it generates pressure. And that, that Archimedes screw, rotor, and stator is at the very bottom of the well, and it can go as far as 500 feet down and still be hand-powered. Wow. Um, compare that to other typical pumps that you find in developing countries or even in America for, for you know, that sake. Uh, most pumps can only reach to about 100 to 150 feet. Sure. In fact, that's what I was going to say. I think most of the wells that are dug around in this area, in the central Ohio area, are somewhere between that 100 and 150 foot depth. And we'd consider those very shallow. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going in places where the water is much deeper. And so the other part is um, traditional pumps, and there's, there's two main types. Uh, one is called an Afrodev, and the other is called an India Mark II. Uh, 99% of pumps installed out there are one of those two. Um, if you have a favorite mission organization that does water projects besides design outreach, they're probably putting in one of those pumps. And what we discovered was, and there's lots and lots of research, lots of evidence showing this, what we discovered is that those pumps are put in, and within six months on average, they break. And what I mean by breaking is is a, a seal goes bad, a valve goes bad, uh, the pipes start leaking because they're made out of galvanized steel and they just rust through. Within six months, they break. It takes, on average, a month to get it fixed when the community is very motivated. And it breaks again in six months. Wow. And now the community is discouraged because they don't have the funds saved up again. And, and and there's a lot of research showing that about four out of every ten pumps installed are broken today. Mm. So even in the areas where they've been trying to make an impact, forty percent of those are, are functional. They're they're broken, and it's a tremendous investment of money. We're talking billions of dollars of lost investment. And to be honest, most of the money it's it's donor money and donors who are just completely unaware that this is happening. You know, the assumption is is that you support a water project, and five, ten years later, the community is still happy and benefiting. The reality is that's probably not true. And so what, what we discovered is, you know, part of it is the design of the pump. You know, going from a traditional Afrodev India Mark II, which is based on a piston-style pump. You have a piston, you have check valves, your handle gets pushed up and down, it moves the piston up and down, it brings water to the surface. Mm -hmm. And that's probably what most people are, are familiar with when it comes to a hand pump, is a pump where you see somebody with a handle going up and down. Right. Uh, a, a progressive cavity pump uh, rotates. And so you go, and it's more like a bicycle action. So you stand at the surface, and instead of a handle that goes up and down, you have two handles that are kind of like bicycle pedals, pedals but they're so handle grips. Yeah, yeah. And you turn it in a rotary motion, and the water comes up in a continuous stream. Well, you know, design idea for the future is just put a seat on top of it and have them pedal it. And that has come up many times. <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, the other big advantage is we're using very high-quality components and materials. So instead of using cheap uh, steel, galvanized steel, uh, polymers that break easily, we're using high-quality ones. So our, our design criteria and goal, and, and praise the Lord, um, we've been successful at this. And, and of course, it, without much uh, um, you know, trial and error and, and figuring things out, sure. 
Uh, our pumps now are designed and, and, and have been proven to last over five years with zero downtime without ever needing any maintenance or any repair, wow. which is so incredibly important in these remote areas where still several hundred million people live in places like Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, these are places that are so far away. Um, even if you need a $3 part, it's impossible to get the $3 part there because it might cost $300 just to drive it out because of the distance. And so we had this crazy idea that things last longer are better than things that break quick. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. And, and mean, that's revolutionary, well, to be honest. And, and to think, um, I mean, not not degrading other organizations that are that are trying to address an issue, but they're probably in many ways thinking, well, this will get us a farther spread. You know, we'll we'll use a cheaper type of product and and we'll be able to go into more areas. But if those areas can't be transformed by what they're doing, then it's just lost effort that has to be repeated over and over again. Um, I mean, just doing the quick math, if yours last uh, five years, that's 10 pumps for every one of yours. And um, certainly on, on scale, that's, that's a huge, huge difference. It, it really comes down to value proposition. And we are a disruptive force in a lot of ways because we're, we're, we're creating change and we're changing status quo. And, and one way I, I like to describe it to people is, you know, status quo is our biggest competitor. Um, prior to Life Pump, there really weren't options. You know, you only had pumps that lasted so long and broke. So that was your only option is to go with that technology. Um, 13 years ago, the Lord put on our hearts to do something about that. Um, and we knew it wouldn't be easy to change status quo. You know, in America, uh, status quo was people walked everywhere or they rode a horse. Right, right. And in Columbus, you know, you have downtown Columbus today, Broad Street. That was, you know, the, the fancy Victorian homes. You know, Worthington was the country because it was a day horse ride to get to Worthington. <laughs> yeah. And only, you know, rich people would have a day's horse ride to get to their country home, right? And, and, of course, that's changed a lot in Columbus. You know, the status quo 150, 200 years ago was people could own people in this country. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine? It I mean, is hard to realize that it's just, you know— that was status quo. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, women couldn't vote. You know, that was status quo. And so what does it take to change status quo? It takes a lot. It takes a lot of fighting for the, the weak, uh, for the, the voiceless, um, to stand up for what's right. And, and as we know, you know, to change those major things I just described was not an overnight thing. But it, were, it, was, it was people who were determined to make the world a better place and that's part of what we're doing with, with design art technology, saying something is not better than nothing in some cases. Instead, we should do it right the first time. So part of that is we have to live by the golden rule, Matthew seven twelve. If it's not good enough for me and my family, why should it be good enough for a family in Zimbabwe who doesn't right. have a voice? You know, I, I kind of learned that lesson early on in my life. Um, I grew up a pastor's kid, and I, there is forever in burned in my mind this um, scene where a well-intentioned member of the church came in with this old vacuum cleaner and handed it and said, here, I got a new one. I'm not going to be using this one anymore. And 
the church could probably get some use out of this. And I was too young to say anything at the time without it sounding disrespectful. But in my mind, the entire time I was thinking, well, if it wasn't good enough for you, why would it be good enough for the church? And so in the same way, um, if, if we find technologies here, that, that shouldn't be just something for here, that should be something for the people of the world that need it even more than we do. So I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, I think we're at a good stopping point for today. Uh, and we're going to dive back into this tomorrow and talk a little bit about your vision and what the future is for design outreach. So thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Shep Nass podcast. If you would like to uh, get in touch with everything that they're doing here with design outreach, check in the show notes and also at shepnass.org. We'll have information and also you can reach out to us by emailing podcast at shepnass.org. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. This podcast is a production of the Shepherd Church of the Nazarene, Gehenna, Ohio. Email to podcast at shepnaz.org and let us know what you think.